0: We are now three weeks into a four-part sermon series on the fear of God, a series that some of you might remember was prompted by my son Brady's question around the dinner table several months ago when he asked me, what does it mean to fear God? If there is a Particular sermon series that you'd like to see done in the future, you may want to consider prompting one of my boys to (laughs) ask a question at the dinner table. Perhaps a monetary prompting. (laughs) Probably work. So, what does it mean to fear God? That's the question that we've been asking for several weeks now, and we'll continue through next week. What does it mean to fear God? And that depends on how well you know yourself and how well you know God. Do you know that you're a sinner? Do you know that God is holy? Do you know that God is all powerful? If you do, then you'll fear God. If you know that you are a sinner... If you know that God is holy, if you know that God is all powerful, then you will fear him. In Joshua chapter 4, verse 23, God reminded his people that he had parted the red sea for them. He reminded them that he had parted the Jordan River to save them. And he said he did that and reminded them of those powerful things he had done so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever." that is first fear it is right fear it is terrifying fear it is according to isaiah 8:13 the dread of the lord this fear of god this dreadful fear of god makes you want to run And hide from God. It has made, I know, many of us, even Christians, want to run and hide. And many of us, even as Christians, have tried to hide ourselves from God. We've tried to hide ourselves under Things like worldly success and relationships and moralism and perfectionism and even atheism and religion. We've tried to hide ourselves from the holy gaze of God. This all-powerful God that we know we are before as sinners. And it makes us squirm. But then, by God's grace, some of us here today, haven't we? We have also come to know His forgiveness. We know ourselves as sinners. We know Him as holy. We know God as all-powerful. But some of us, by God's grace, have also come to know His forgiveness. And when we came to know His forgiveness, think of it this way, it brought us out of hiding. It brought us out of hiding. We learned that the God who stands ready to judge us is also willing to save us. And when we understood this, our terrified fear of God, as Gresham Machen said, became another kind of fear. That fear of God changed. It it, it was, Christian, it is like the trembling fear of a small child just rescued from the ocean by his father. A fear that drove us to God. A fear of what almost was. And Christian, it is this fear of God that you will have, what did our sermon text say? All the days of your life on this earth. Like that trembling child, now rescued in the arms of his loving Father. That fear of God is the subject of our sermon today. The ongoing, godly fear of an adopted child of God. So as we've talked about the fear of God, we've, we've talked a lot about what it means to fear God. Specifically, this morning, we're looking at what is this ongoing godly fear of an adopted child of God. And I hope and I want to get pretty practical this morning. I want to get practical about what it means and what it looks like for a Christian like you and me. What does it look like to fear God? Because I think it's that Christian fear of God that is often misunderstood or misapplied. So let me read our sermon text again. And then I should pray before I preach. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Only take care and keep your soul diligently. Lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. And lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's Children, I need to grow in this. I was reminded this week. I'm not going to fear God if I forget the things I've seen. I'm not going to fear God the way I should if I don't keep in front of me the works of God in my life and in the lives and world around me. My children, I'm convicted, will not fear God. It will depart from their heart if my children don't know the things that God has done. If they don't learn how to see The things that God has done. They'll forget. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. The Lord said to me. Gather the people to me. That I may let them hear my words. So that they may learn to fear me. All the days that they live on the earth. And that they may teach their children also. So this is our prayer. God would help us to learn this fear of God. That we may teach our children this fear of God. That we would not forget the things that our eyes have seen. That the works of God would not depart from our heart. That we would make them known to our children and our children's children. I just prayed our sermon text. I was just reading that back to you. We will not fear God. If we forget what he has done for us. Our children will not fear God. If we don't talk about what the Lord has done for us. Now I was convicted. Because this is more than just teaching for example your kids truth. This is more than teaching them Bible verses. This is more than teaching them. This is what you should do and should not do. This is look and see what God is doing right now, today, this morning, this afternoon, tonight, in our home, in our neighborhood, in our church, in our world. Give them eyes to see what God has done and what God is doing, lest they grow up and they don't see anything. What a task. That is before us as a church. So we need to understand. What this fear of God is. I need a better understanding. Of what this fear of God is. That I hope for in me. In you. And in our children. So. We should pray. Our father in heaven. Help us. To understand what it means. To fear you. As Christians, in Jesus' name, amen. Centuries ago, three men in particular devoted a lot of study and a lot of writing to this topic of the fear of God. Specifically, they thought biblically about the differences between the fear of God in an unbeliever and the fear of God in a believer. And those three men were Martin Luther, Zacharias Ursinus, and Wilhelmus A. Brackle. I did my best to find out if I was pronouncing that right. I'm just saying it confidently so that you don't know either way. (laughs) So, I think it's going to be good if I begin this message by standing on those men's shoulders for a while and summarizing some of what they had to say about the fear of God. So, that's what I want to move us through to begin with. We'll go in chronological order starting with Martin Luther, who was one of the first to make a very clear distinction between the fear of God in a believer and the fear of God in an unbeliever. If you don't know, Martin Luther was a German monk born in the 15th century who ignited the Protestant Reformation by Openly defying the ungodly religious institution of his day. So, all of us as Christians today are thankful and indebted to him as members today of the Protestant or the Protestant church. So, he used two terms fear of God in an unbeliever, fear of God in a believer. He used the terms servile fear to describe the fear of God in an unbeliever, and filial fear to describe the fear of God in a believer. And here's the difference, according to Luther. Number one, servile fear. Servile fear of God, of anything, according to Luther, is the kind of fear experienced by a prisoner Toward his jailer or executioner or by a criminal before a judge or by a slave before a cruel slave owner. That's servile fear. So as we're trying to get our heads around this this morning, that is not... The fear of God in a Christian. The kind of fear in a prisoner before a jailer or executioner, a criminal before a judge. a That is not Christian fear. That is not godly fear. Second, filial fear. Filial fear, according to Luther, is the kind of fear... Experienced by a son before his father. Let me clarify something. This is not the fear a child may feel before a mean father. And unfortunately some of you know that fear. And that's not what we're talking about. This fear of a son before his father is not fear that a child may have before a mean father. It is fear that a child may have before his loving father, before a good father. It's very different. It is a fear of displeasing what should be a primary source of love and security. It is a loving fear. It is a fear that is full of respect. So that's Luther. I hope that's helpful. Next is Zacharias Ursinus, who was another German. A lot of great Germans in history. I'm German. I think that's why I said that. He was born in the 16th century, and he became a leader in the Reformation that Luther ignited. And what Ursinus did is he took all of these recovered biblical doctrines of the Reformation, and he wrote them out. And he wrote them out primarily as the principal author of, you may have heard of, the Heidelberg Catechism. He was the main author of that catechism. And he built on Luther's definitions of fear by drawing out more of the differences between this servile fear and this filial fear. So, again, think about your own fear of God this morning as we work out more of the differences between these kinds of fear. So, let me quote him. He said, Filial fear does not turn away from God, but hates sin above everything else and fears to offend God. Serval fear is a flight and hatred, not of sin, but of punishment and of the divine judgment and so of God himself. So let me break down what he said. The differences again. So servile fear thinks that God is unjust and hates God. That fear thinks that God is mean and unjust and it leads to the hatred of God. Filial fear thinks that God is good and just and hates sin. One leads to the hatred of God. The other leads to the hatred of Sin: Think about your fear of God this morning. Serval fear runs from God. Filial fear runs from sin. What are you running from today? Who are you running from today? Are you running from God? Are you hiding from God? Are you running from sin? Do you hate sin? Do you hate God this morning? Serval fear is without faith and without love. And without a desire to change. Serval fear. Is according to James 2.19. It is the trembling. Of believing devils. That's not a Christian fear of God. Even the devils. Even the demons. Believe. And fear God. And tremble. It's this servile fear. And finally, Wilhelmus uh, Brackel was born in the 17th century. Not a German. Would have been great to go three for three. Just didn't work out. He, He ministered in the Netherlands. Now his heart, as he wrote, was not for the Like academically minded theologian so much as his heart was for the common church member like you and me. And so he said things in a way that is, I find, easier to understand. So he provides, in my opinion, the best definition, what a thing to say, of the ongoing fear of God in an adopted child of God. And that's what we're after. What is this fear of God in a Christian? What is this fear of God in an adopted child of God? What does that look like? Here's his definition. Filial fear, you see him standing on the shoulders of... Filial fear is a holy inclination of the heart generated by God in the hearts of his children whereby they, out of reverence for God take careful pains not to displease God and earnestly endeavor to please Him in all things. What is the fear of God? Let me read you his definition one more time. Filial fear or the Christian's fear of God is a holy Inclination of the heart. So it's felt. It's something inward. It's a different desire. It's a different appetite. There's a change inwardly. It is a holy inclination of the heart. Generated by God in the hearts of his children. Whereby they. Out of reverence. Or deep respect. Whereby they, out of reverence for God, take careful pains to, so it's not just a heart thing, it's not just a feeling, it's active, they take careful pains not to displease God and earnestly endeavor to please Him in all things." So if I had that dinner conversation with my family over again, I'd say something more like that. I wouldn't say, uh, er, er. well, fear doesn't really mean fear. That's what I said. <laughs> Among other near blasphemous things, I'm sure. There's just times I need to say, I don't know. How humiliating, right, for a 39-year-old pastor and father of six at the dinner table to answer a simple elementary question like that with, I don't know. So I failed there. If I had that dinner conversation all over again, I would say something more like this when asked by my son, what is the fear of God? I would say something like, the fear of God is... Reverence for God that leads to pleasing God in all things. By my time machine, I'd go back and say that. What does it mean to fear God? It is reverence for God that leads to pleasing Him in all things. That's a simple definition. But then, I suspect... That with us, and definitely in my home, I'd need to talk about what reverence is. Because that word is sort of lost in our day and age. We don't use the word revere a lot. We don't use the word reverence a lot. So I'm giving a definition that needs another definition. Okay, reverence. What does reverence mean? In your Bible, there is a difference between fear and reverence. And you can go all over your Bible and see the word fear, 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 fear. But then if you look at the Hebrew word or you look at the Greek word, you're going to have like fear and reverence. So what is the difference? There's this... I don't love God, I don't believe in God, fear. There's this, I believe in God, I love God, but I still fear Him. Reverence. Both fear and reverence happen when you get near great power. It just happens. If you are Near great power, it leads to fear, it leads to reverence, depends on what kind of power it is. Fear and reverence lead to trembling before God. There is... mean power and there is good power. Everybody knows this. There is wicked power and there is righteous power. And whether you respond in fear or reverence, Depends on what kind of power it is, or at least what kind of power you think it is, if it's mean power or good power. Mean power is inequitable and wicked, and it aims to hurt. And sadly, some of you have been the victim of that kind of power. Mean power is inequitable and wicked and aims to hurt and leads to fear. No respect here is there. No love, affection here is there. That's mean power. Well, oh, friends, there's good power. Good power is equitable and righteous. And it does not aim to hurt. It aims to protect. It aims to protect. And your response is reverence. I revere this power. And there is respect in this. And there is love in this. And there is thankfulness in this. And there is gratitude in this. And there is affection in this. When you are near good power. That leads to reverence. Now, who is God? Is God mean power or is God good power? God is good power. His is the ultimate power, more powerful than any other power, more mighty than all might, and His power is equitable and it is righteous and it is always not aiming to hurt, it is aiming to protect First and foremost, is another sermon, his glory. But it by nature protects. And when you come to know this powerful, merciful, protective God, you respond with reverence. Let's keep going. That was one of my goals this morning, to just get out a biblical understanding, a working definition of what it means for a Christian to fear God. So again, the Christian's fear of God is reverence for God that leads to pleasing God in all things. But I think there's more work we could do. That's a biblical understanding That's a good, I think, working definition, but now here's what I'd like to do. Let's do a survey of some of the fear of God texts in your Bible, and there's so many. We don't have time to look at even close to all of them. Old Testament, New Testament, all over the Bible. But let's learn more together about what this fear of God actually practically looks like. For you and me, Christian, in our lives and in our home, what does that reverence for God that leads to a pleasing of God in all things of my life, what does it look like? It's expected of me, and I'm supposed to teach it to my children, and there's a lot of children, whether they're yours or not, there's a lot of children here, and we want to teach them this. How can I spot this fear of God in myself? How can I spot this fear of God in others? Are you looking for a spouse this morning? You're not supposed to answer that out loud. (laughs) Some of you did. That's great. (laughs) Is this that portion in the service where we get? No, it's not. What are you looking for? I hope you're looking for the fear of God. Are you looking for friends? Are you looking for a church? So I think it's helpful to know more than just reverence for God that leads to pleasing God in all things and in all of life. What does this practically look like? What does a God-fearing Christian look like? So let's start with this. Number one, the fear of God flavors everything you do as a Christian. The fear of God flavors everything you do as a Christian, the fear of God is foundational. Uh, The fear of God regulates the Christian life. So the fear of God is not just something you do in addition to all the other things you do. It affects everything you do as a Christian. That's what we mean by it's foundational. It flavors everything you do as a Christian. It is at the bottom. The fear of God, Christian, is at the very bottom Of everything you think and everything you do. The way I think, whatever I do, the words I say, the decisions I make. It's all built on this foundational fear of God. It brings balance to the Christian life. One author says, I'll quote in a minute, it brings a ballast to the Christian life. So let me support that statement. Let me support it with a a secondary resource and that is a pastor from the 19th century named William Plummer and then our primary resource, the Bible. And this is to support what I just said, so don't take my word for it, that the fear of God flavors everything we do as Christians. It's not just something we do in addition to everything else we do. The fear of God is at the bottom of everything we do. Is that true? William Plummer said, Godly fear consists with love. This is so true that the more we fear God, the more we love Him, and the more we love Him, the more we fear Him. Godly fear is not a destroyer but a regulator of other graces. Without it, faith might become presumptuous. Hope might lose its sobriety. Love might degenerate into fondness or sentimentality. And joy might become giddy. But where the heart is full of godly fear, all these unhappy results are avoided. So far from agitating, it calms and quiets the mind. It seems to give both gravity and cheerfulness. It moderates without depressing It animates without intoxicating. It is good ballasts to the ship in her passage through tempestuous seas. So you hear him saying the fear of God is foundational. It affects everything you think. It affects everything you do. It's at the bottom. But What does the Bible have to say? Some of these verses you have heard and you will remember. But listen to the foundational primary nature of the fear of God. Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That means if you don't know the fear of God, you don't know anything. What a thing to say. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of its first base. It's the very start. It's the very beginning. If you don't know the fear of God, you don't really know anything. There's other verses like it. You've heard Proverbs 9.10. Proverbs 1.11.10 says the same thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not just the beginning of knowledge. You don't know anything. It's the beginning of wisdom. You don't know how to live. True wisdom is knowledge applied to your life. There's no wisdom. You don't know what's up. You don't know what's down. You don't know the decisions to make. You don't know the right way to go if you don't have a fear of the Lord. That's foundational. Two more. Two more. Later in Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear? This is first. The Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord with God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good. But what did he say first? You need to fear the Lord. And then even later, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 12 and 13. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that's everybody, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, and to be careful to do all the words of his law, that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. So, friends, hear God's word. The fear of God flavors everything in the Christian life. It is not something you do in addition to everything else you do, it is at the bottom of everything you do so that's number one and then number two okay so the fear of god flavors everything i do as a christian what do you want to know how does it flavor everything i do as a christian what does it taste like So I get that God's word says the fear of God is foundational. Reverence for God is foundational. We're just getting even more practical. So what does that actually look like? How does the fear of God flavor everything you think and do in the Christian life? How does it make everything look different? I want you to evaluate your fear of God this morning. So here's how I'm going to say it, and then we'll break this down as we head out of this sermon. I thought of how to say this, and I felt like there was a better way out there to say it. But this is where I'm convinced God wants us. The fear of God flavors everything you think. And do as a Christian with seriousness. I think there's a lot of things we could say about the fear of God and what it practically looks like, but as I thought of our nation, our world, and our church, the fear of God. Flavors everything you think and do as a Christian with seriousness. This is missing in Christians today. We are too casual, too cavalier, too flippant, too shallow, too Superficial. And in many of us. And in many different ways and areas. There is a seriousness. That is missing. In our Christian life. We do live in a culture and. Even a Christian culture I think that tends to. We've talked about this before, to demote God and promote ourselves. So the ocean that exists between us and God feels more like a puddle. And so I think I'm better than I actually am. And I think God is worse, and what I mean is more lenient than he actually is. And I'm not really in that much trouble before God and I'm a good person, and on and on and on, right? And it's just kind of narrowing the gap that is between sinners and a holy God. And I do that by promoting myself and demoting God. That is the opposite of fearing God. That's the opposite of fearing God. And it will not lead to seriousness in the Christian life. So let me give you an example of this. I want to illustrate this because you're thinking, what are you talking about? I don't. Maybe you don't see that. Maybe you don't see this demoting of God and promoting of ourselves. For whatever reason, I was in several different ways bombarded by this this week. And it got me to thinking about these very popular, the term has been coined, heaven Tourism books. You know what the heaven tourism books are? There are books guaranteed to be bestsellers, by the way. If you want to make money, it's pretty much a sure deal. People have written books saying they've been to heaven. And now they're back. And here's what it was like. And I saw God, and I saw Jesus, and I'm here to tell you that heaven is for real. What a promoting of ourselves! And a demoting of God, that is. Now, first of all, friends, just so you're equipped. No one goes to heaven and comes back. If they went to heaven, they would have stayed there. In fact, that'd be very cruel of God. If He took me to heaven and sent me back, I'm now the angriest, most bitter person on earth. I mean, I love you guys, but I know that it, does, it doesn't have anything, it doesn't compare at all to heaven. But let me just, because I, I know what you think like I think, you know, what gives me the right to dismiss, dismiss a person's experience? Well, the Bible gives you the right. So let me just give you a few verses. This is, this is a little bit off topic. It's just a little bit, these verses, but I just want you equipped with these because it's real popular. Proverbs 30, verse 4. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? And and I want to scream right now, but the answer is no one except God. That's what that scripture is telling you. No one. John 3.13. Let's go New Testament. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That's very clear. And that's Jesus. So now it's this guy and Jesus, or this child and Jesus, that we would add to John 3.13. I don't want to do that. There are only four biblical visions in the Bible. Only four. And they are Isaiah, Ezekiel, John, and Paul. And it's really interesting. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 says, I saw things that it's not even right for me to talk about. And he said, I don't even really understand what I saw. John... Felt like he was dead when he saw the glory of God. Isaiah and Ezekiel, they were traumatized. Traumatized. If you, if you go see God right now, if you see Jesus right now, you will be traumatized. You're not going to come and write a book about it. You're not going to go on a On a news show. You're going to be laying down. In conviction of sin. Before a holy God. None of these people as far as I know. Were traumatized by the presence of Jesus. Am I to think they were better than Isaiah. And Moses. Ezekiel the beloved disciple John Our thoughts of ourselves are too high and our thoughts of God are too low. And we live, you know this, where we promote ourselves. We live in a culture where most We live in a culture where very few tremble before God and everyone gets a trophy. We experience that with our kids and sports. You know about the participation trophy? You get a trophy just for being you. You showed up. Congratulations, you get a trophy. You participated, you get a trophy. That is ungodly. Not everyone gets a trophy, friends. Not everyone, that's a whole other sermon, but not everyone even in heaven gets a trophy, a reward. There's rewards in heaven. It's not for participation. (laughs) it <laughs> just recently my, what am I, we joke about it in our house one of my sons got a he played basketball and at the end of the season they, they, all, they all have a trophy every single one of them like not just the most valuable player they, just, they all have a trophy and every single trophy says the outstanding player award <laughs> this is not helpful this is promoting this is promoting man And then we don't tremble before God. And then something can happen to us, and we can have the audacity to claim that we went to heaven and we stood before Jesus and have come back to convince all of you that heaven is for real because the Holy Spirit and the words of Scripture were not enough. I need a seven year old to convince me. Heaven is for real because God says heaven is for real. That is not serious. That is not serious Christianity, friends. So the way the fear of God flavors everything we do as a Christian is it does, it should flavor everything you think and do as a Christian with seriousness. We cannot be casual with God. We cannot be flippant with God, cavalier, shallow, superficial. We need to be serious before God. We need to be sincere before God. We need to be earnest in our walk with God and this is prompted by reverence or fear of God so in conclusion another step getting more specific two things two things that need to be serious for the Christian and examine yourself please Two things, number one, serious obedience, and number two, serious worship. Is your obedience serious? Are you serious about obeying God? Do you revere God? Do you fearfully obey Him? What about your worship? Is your worship of God serious? Do you fearfully worship him? Do you reverently worship him? Let me give you the verses. Serious obedience. Serious obedience. So many I could quote. Let me give you 3. Psalm 86:11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. That's obedience. Unite my heart to fear your name. That's the prayer. Unite my heart to fear your name so that I will walk in your truth. I need to fear you, God. Proverbs 8 13. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. How seriously do you hate evil? How committed are you to hating sin? How seriously do you take obedience? You cannot fear God and love evil. You cannot fear God and entertain evil. You cannot fear God and laugh at evil. If you fear God, you will hate evil. That's serious obedience. Serious commitment to holiness. And Proverbs 1.19.1.20 120. I'm still thinking about this verse, and I think I will be thinking about it for a long time. This is a Christian. This is a believer. This is a faithful one who says, my flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. That's a Christian talking. So I don't have this, right? I don't have this servile fear, like this fear cowering that God is going to be mean to me. That's the Christian does not have that fear. And yet, and I don't know about you, and yet I am fearful of God's discipline. That is a motivator for you, Christian. We talk so much about your love for God motivating you to obedience. And we should talk about that. You're obeying God out of love for him and out of gratitude for him. But don't you know that he disciplines those whom he loves. I don't want to be disciplined by God. This is a child, right? Before a loving father who knows that his father is good and just and wants to train this child up well. And it's the child who thinks twice before doing that. Because I don't want to face dad after I do that. Does that motivate you as a Christian? Do you understand and know this good power of God? How long are you going to entertain sin? How long are you going to play with sin? How long are you going to say you're struggling this when you're not struggling at all? You're just giving in over and over and over again. How long are you going to hide? How long are you going to make excuses How long before you stop blaming others? How long before you bring this into the light, drag it into the light and confess it and deal with it? How long? Maybe this morning you need to feel the fear of God, Christian. It will be for your good. And it will be loving. But his discipline will be painful. that makes me serious about obedience that's the ballast i need so i don't take these things too lightly and then second and finally serious worship serious worship Are you serious about giving God the praise He deserves? Are you serious about giving God the honor and glory He deserves? Are you serious about Revelation 4.11? You know He's worthy of all honor and power and glory. Do you ascribe to Him that honor and power and glory? What about this worship? That we do every Sunday when we come together as a church family. Is your worship serious? Let me give you a couple of scriptures. Psalm 2, 10 and 11. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. I didn't expect to see those two words in the same sentence. Rejoice with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Or Isaiah 66 two. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Put those together. So there's rejoicing. Rejoicing with trembling. And trembling at my word. We come here every together. We come here every Sunday together. And we rejoice together. We celebrate together. We sing together. And the word of God is at the center of everything we do. Every Sunday from beginning to end, are we rejoicing with trembling? Are we trembling at God's Word? Do you show up here or wherever you go on a Sunday? Do you show up prepared? Are you thinking about this Saturday night? Are you thinking about this Sunday morning? Is there a soberness to you? Is there a seriousness to you? Are you sincere when you come in this room? Are you earnest when you come in this room and gather with God's people? We think about these things, those of us who are involved in planning out every minute of this service. We're prepared for this time because of our reverence for God. There's a reason you don't get a bag of popcorn when you walk in. There's a reason there's not like smoke coming up, you know, behind me from a fog machine. There's a reason we don't have lights and strobe lights and disco balls while we're singing. There's a reason the sermon is not joke after joke after joke. There's a reason we don't read a sermon text and then just say something that doesn't have anything to do with the sermon text. These are our attempts. These are our efforts at being serious with the time that God has given us. Do you come prepared? Do you, here or in your life, do you rejoice with trembling? Do you tremble at the Word of God? This is what I think it means for the Christian to fear God. Last question Have you been delivered from a servile fear of God? Do you still fear God like that criminal before his jailer or his. Is executioner, or like some slave before a wicked and cruel slave owner? Is that your relationship to God? Is that the way you fear God? Is that how you operate as a Christian? Just trying to keep this God happy with you? Just trying to work off your sins? Just trying to be good enough? Just trying to have a good enough reputation? Aren't you exhausted? Aren't you tired? Do you know that God is also merciful and gracious? Do you know that He is ready and willing to save? Do you know what He has done? To rescue you. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know that Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you're trying to live? Do you know that he died and paid a price that you should have to pay? And do you know that if you love him, That if you commit yourself to him, that if you believe this good news, that you will be saved? Your terrifying fear of God can, this morning, become another kind of fear. A loving reverence for God. Will you bow your heads? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. And thank you for helping us to understand in your word what it means to fear you. God, would you bring reverence to our hearts? God, where we have been too casual with you, where we have been presumptuous, would you bring conviction now? God, may we now become more serious about our life in you. God, convict us of sin. Make us broken and contrite. Make us people who seriously obey, who seriously rejoice, who seriously worship you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.